Welcome back to Lightshed Research, a podcast that puts our research notes in your ears for your listening convenience. April 9th, 2021. Media landscape undergoing unprecedented change. Ted Sarandos and Jason Kylar Podcasts. Over the past few days, we've listened to two podcasts that shine a light on just how fast the media industry is evolving. The Smartless Podcast, hosted by Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, Will Arnett, interviewed Netflix co-CEO and Chief Content Officer Ted Sarandos. And the Recode Media Podcast, hosted by Peter Kafka, interviewed Warner Media CEO Jason Kylar. Our biggest takeaways. Number one, talent increasingly realizes that streaming is the future with a TAM that far exceeds the way content has historically been distributed. Number two, theatrical windows are forever changed post-COVID-19, with SVOD set to become the second window for legacy studio blockbusters, displacing home entertainment, with post-theatrical window that is far shorter than the pre-pandemic 75 to 90-day window before home entertainment. For smaller to mid-sized films, day and date is highly likely to be the norm, with theaters put in a difficult position to show these films or simply lose out on a large amount of content. Number three, a streaming service, as streaming services take control of their pay-one rights versus licensing externally, streaming services will need to invest more in movies. For independent studios, the market value of pay-one rights is soaring to levels never imagined. Being an arms dealer is pretty compelling. We keep wondering how many new SVOD entrants will regret trying to do battle with Netflix, Amazon, and Disney. Number five, linear TV is now a marketing channel for streaming services. The content will get worse by the day as content, including sports, is shifted to streaming services to propel subgrowth. And number six, sports are in trouble as the multi-channel television bundle fades with no comparable economic model in streaming going forward. The Smartless Podcast with Ted Sarandos. At the 1534 mark, Netflix didn't originally have a plan one way or another on how to release House of Cards episodes. Ted says, this is a happy accident of happy accidents because I never even thought about it, Sean. When we finished this season, we were getting ready to launch. We said, how are we going to put it out? Shot out the first season and we had a meeting and we said, okay, well, how are we going to release it? And I said, how do you mean? Well, you know, within a week, for a month, I said, well, everything on Netflix, we get a season after it was on TV before, and we put the whole season. So I said, well, we can't have one show, one episode a week, and everything else all at once. So just put all of it out at once and see how people watch it. And some people watch two, and some people watch three, but nobody watched one episode. At the 1630 mark, Talent's discomfort with releasing all TV episodes at once reminds us of how talent is now concerned with collapsing windows in the theatrical business or skipping theaters entirely. It takes time for talent to adjust to something new or different. But the amazing part of this anecdote is how the music business was always a drop all the content at once business. Sarandos says, So Lilyhammer was actually our first original show that launched on Netflix. Our first deal was House of Cards. But Talk about getting a great pitch. I get a phone call from an agent who said, would you take a phone call from Stevie Van Zandt out of the blue? And so Stevie, I get on the phone with Stevie. He's in Norway. He went to Norway to produce this garage band album. And somebody approached him with a script for a show about a guy who's like his character from The Sopranos, who goes to Lilyhammer, Norway to be in the Witness Relocation Program. 
And he goes, yeah, I'm on board. And he does it. He plays the character. He produces the show. And they didn't give him very much money. It's Norway. He was trying to get the soundtrack money together to put music on the show. No trailers in the middle of winter for talent. They had to knock on doors and ask neighbors if they could use their houses. But anyway, he tells me about the show and I go, great. Can you send me a script? He says, we've already finished. I'll send you the whole show. So we sent the show. We loved it. We did the deal to put it on. And then we told him, how are we going to put it up all at once? He goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We just spent nine months of our lives making this show. You're going to just dump it out all at once? And I go, yeah, just like an album. 3636. Sarandos thinks the best content will continue moving from linear to streaming, and it will be a race to a bottom for linear TV. Sarandos says, I think the inevitable thing that happens is everyone starts bringing their original stuff to their streaming services. That means they're not going to put it on the network, and it's going to be this race to the bottom. Jason Bateman chimes in, sports and news? Yeah, and you know, and you saw Amazon buy Thursday Night Football, or is buying Thursday Night Football. I don't know. What is going to happen to channels like NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, asked Bateman. One way to think about it is if you watch, I'm a big fan of, we watch a lot of home and garden TV in our house. I'm very embarrassed by the number of hours we spend doing this. But if you watch it right now, you'll see they've just launched their own service called Discovery Plus. Little pitch for them. And they've turned their network into a Barker channel for that service. They're basically every minute you watch Discovery Network on TV, they're saying, don't watch it here, watch it there. The one blessing that we've had in our business, in our professional existence, is we've never had to manage ourselves out of anything. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have to go like, how are we going to replace our movie theater business? So for us, we've been just go where the audience is and we're able to do it pretty nimbly. All these companies make all of their money on advertising and cable network fees. These are going to have to be replaced. And that with that revenue of their service is kind of some balanced way. And they're going to end up in this weird place. Anyway, I think they'll have to, they'll navigate it fine, but these changes don't come around very often. I mean, this is the first big change that cable TV's had in 40 years. 1108. Netflix knew early on the way to distinguish your service was through your programming. So they needed to invest in originals. Plus, they expected content suppliers to pull their content. Sarandos says, there are going to be a couple of things that we thought about when we thought about, should we make original programming for Netflix? A big one was, if everybody has all the same stuff, there's going to be just a race to the bottom, and it's not a very interesting business. How do you distinguish? How has any network distinguished themselves from the others? It's by their programming. And at the time, we were just kind of buying everyone else's reruns and putting them on Netflix. So this was like, at some point, we got to do this. And the other one was, if we believe that the world we live in today, where there's an HBO Max and a Disney Plus and a Paramount Plus, all these people are not going to want to sell us their programming anyway, right? So we better, we better start getting good at it now. The Recode Media Podcast with Jason Kylar. 433. Streaming services need movies, lots of movies, and fresher movies, as consumers do not always want to watch a multi-part series. Movies have been a central part of HBO from the very beginning. And Netflix has talked about one-third of viewing in each country around the world being movies. Kylar says, We're going to be investing aggressively in the motion picture format again. We're doing it because fans love it. And you know, personally, I can say that I love the notion of being able to, on any given night, have an experience that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Not everybody wants to sit down and commit to, you know, multi-week or multi-month story, which is a series. And so, so, it's we're excited about producing both. The 510 mark. While blockbuster movies like The Batman will have an exclusive theatrical window in theaters in 2022, small to mid-sized budgets 
will be on HBO Max day and date or exclusively on HBO Max. Kylar, I think you'll see two types of movies, Peter. You know, there's certainly going to be the epic and the big, you know, motion pictures that will go to theaters for sure. And they'll go to theaters first. But there are also going to be a number of movies that we produce proudly at Warner Brothers that go to HBO Max on the first day as well. The clear implication to us appears to be that that this is day and date, assuming theaters will show them. Kylar continues. And so I just think you know, and I said this last year as well, which is I don't think you're going to see the world go back to 2016. I think the world is changing, and that's the way the world is supposed to work. And so we're going to, we're obviously adapt to that. And in many ways, we're going to lead the charge there. The six minute mark. Sequential release pattern for movies appears to be changing, with Warner Brothers now seeing HBO Max as the second window versus home entertainment, meaning DVD, Blu ray, rental, EST, etc. When Kylar did not, while while Kylar did not say how long before a movie hits HBO Max, we know that the recent Regal Agreement only gives theaters exclusivity on blockbusters for 45 days. The implication is that on day 46, movies like The Batman will be on HBO Max at no extra cost to the consumer. Note, this is a similar strategy to what Paramount Plus has announced for Paramount's late 2021 and 2022 movie slate. Kylar. So I think it's very fair to say that a big, let's say a big DC movie, for example, you know, The Batman coming in 2022, for example, it's very fair to say that that would go exclusively to theaters first and then go to somewhere like an HBO Max after it's in theaters. 2148. HBO, HBO Max expects Disney to pull movies from HBO starting with the 2023 releases, but it's less clear what Universal will do. In turn, Warner Brothers is planning to invest more in its own motion picture business than ever before. Worth noting that after yesterday's Sony Netflix Pay One deal, the market price for Pay One movies has increased dramatically. We believe Netflix is paying 3x or more for Pay One rights only, whereas the former Sony Stars deal encompassed Pay Two as well. In turn, the fair market value to keep these rights internal for Disney+, Plus, meaning Fox, or Peacock, meaning Universal, will step up meaningfully. Kylar. Certainly in the case of Fox, I think that would be fair to say, given where Disney has gone. I think NBC Universal will see, you know, I think I suspect they're thinking through it. But we'll see the decision that they'll decide in that camp. But in terms of when you think about it over the next decade, you know, you should expect more of the same in terms of what we've been doing the last two years, which is aggressively investing in our content, where we own it and we own it forever. And that includes motion pictures. And it also includes series and documentaries and documentary series. And so I think it's a safe bet to say, you know, if you take a look at the investment just in motion picture fund, because you asked about it, I suspect we'll be producing a lot more motion pictures going forward than we ever have historically at Warner Brothers. 3610. Kylar loves sports, but he clearly implies that the economic model for sports does not work the way it used to, and he sounds far less ambitious about buying sports rights for digital platforms. If the future of Warner Media is HBO Max, we suspect Warner Media overall will be less and less interested in sports rights over time, as the math simply does not work. Note, Kylar didn't say this exactly, but it's just our gut feel listening to him talk. Kylar says, Sports is, gosh, it's such a fascinating topic because you're talking to a very big sports fan. I'm a big Tar Heel, and so I adore sports, and it makes me in a very, moves me in a very kind of material way. And so I absolutely love it, you know, but at the same time, you also have to be, you know, very thoughtful about what is the role of sports in your company and where it goes forward. And it's very clear sports plays a very big role in Warner Media. 
You know, if you take a look at the NBA on TNT, if you take a look at March Madness, if you take a look at Major League Baseball, and the whole host of other things that all the sports documentaries that we do on HBO Max and HBO, it's a big deal. But you have to have a very well-structured plan that where it works for you, because it's not just about the leagues obviously making a fair return, but it's also about us, you know, doing great for customers and making a fair return. I don't think there's anyone on the planet that could get all the sports aggregated in one area. But I do think that, you know, Peter, if I were to predict just from a sort of analytical point of view, I think what happens with sports in the digital future is going to be fascinating. And I think obviously you're going to want to get our point of view and that you're going to want to get ESPN's point of view and a lot of other folks as well. But I can promise you is that it will change, I think, the sports landscape when it comes to the nature of live experience and how it's distributed. It's going to change so much in the next 10 years. 3815. Thursday Night Football is a $10 billion experiment for Amazon. Remember, Kylar worked for Amazon before he went to run Hulu. Kylar states, Jeff Bezos is in the business of aggregating, and Jeff is in the business of providing value as much as possible through his prime service. And so clearly, you know, a big noisy league like the NFL can help in that manner. Now, is Thursday night NFL games enough? Or is it going to be sort of the right piece of the puzzle? I don't know. I think certainly they will have to figure it out. I think it's fair to say that there's a number of things that go into the prime value proposition. And this is one experiment. It's funny to say that a $10 billion expenditure could be an experiment, but I think it is, and we'll just have to see how it plays out. Finally, just for fun, you'll have to listen to the entire SmartList episode to understand the image below, but it's pretty funny to think about how far he's come. We've got a 1978 Ford F-150 pictured at the bottom of the post.